Today we're going to cover something a bit different on the podcast, and so because we're doing something a bit different, I thought it'd be interesting to introduce the podcast through AI. So, welcome to the Ignition Podcast, the show where we ignite your passion and explore the automotive world of motorsport and automotive excellence. I'm your host, Harry Fipers, and today we have an exhilarating story to share with you. In this episode, we dive into the remarkable journey of Matthew Simonite, a true racing enthusiast who is blazing a trail in the 750 Motor Club MX-5 series. With this MX-5 fueled by innovative P1 performance fuels, we discover how Matthew founded Matthew Simonite Racing and how his insatiable curiosity and unwavering passion is taking his love for motorsport and bringing e-fuels to grassroots. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, each month the podcast has a sponsor that I love and I believe helps the car community. And this month's sponsor does precisely that. I've been a big fan of fuel for quite some time now, especially when it comes to working out. And I've got some exciting news to share with all of you. I recently discovered Huel's ready to drink milk, and it's a total game changer. Not only is it delicious, but I'm a big fan of the chocolate flavor, and I'm a bigger fan of the 26 essential vitamins and minerals you need to go about your day. And let me tell you, it came in super handy during a recent 24 hour trip to a certain German racing track. Instead of eating unhealthy petrol station food, Huel kept me energized and focused on and off track. So if you are on the hunt for a quick and easy meal option, go to huel.com forward slash ignition to receive your free t-shirt and shaker and support the podcast. Now, back to the episode. Colin McRae Rally 2005. I was obsessed with that game um, and it sort of put me in the direction of motorsport and, and I think from there I was sort of adamant on becoming a rally driver all the way through school and it was in the car scene, show cars other track day cars etc but I think racing was always the end goal because of its competitive nature and because of the variation as well but we're doing it this year with a slight twist racing with carbon neutral synthetic fuels mm. uh, primarily from a company called P1 in Germany so P1 performance fuels the idea behind it is we can showcase these fuels basically show grassroots motorsport and the wider audience that synthetic fuels are a drop-in solution to sustainable motoring with internal combustion. A lot of uh, sustainable fuel companies, not just P1, but other people in the industry have gone right to the to the pinnacle. But how I see it is the likes of myself and, and yourself and, and your listeners, we don't commute to work in a WRC Ford Puma. The things what I learned was the technology is really old and it was done due to uh, the Germans not trying to rely on Russian oil anymore, which is a hot topic again. For us in the UK, it'd be Motorsport UK getting fully behind this and, and promoting the rollout of this into all levels of, of competition in the UK. If it is your passion, try and get in there as quick as you can. Don't waste your time trying to be a footballer and then change your mind. Um, welcome to the podcast. There is a question I'd like to start off with, and that is what ignited your passion for cars? Um, I'm not sure, really. It was a bit of an odd one. Um, when I was growing up, I was like purely, purely about football. So every waking hour, me and all of my friends growing up from school, it was football. So, yeah, I, I sort of was heading that route growing up as a kid. And then uh, I sort of... Uh, stopped growing and I was the smallest one in the bunch and uh, football has obviously been quite a physical sport wasn't mm. ever going to be the one for me so 
uh, I think that's probably when my eye started turning towards cars. Um, yeah, just just any car, really. I think some of the neighbours had a few interesting things, uh, old Cortinas and, and Capris. Uh, I remember one of the other neighbours had uh, Talbot Lotus Sunbeam. Just mm. things like that really sort of got me interested into, into cars. And then, yeah, after that, it was just cars, cars, cars. Um, I'd say probably the main thing what hooked me into towards motorsport was uh, Colin McRae Rally 2005 on yeah. uh, on the Xbox. Um, I was obsessed with that game, um, and it sort of really, yeah, that that was probably the one what said put me in the direction of motorsport, and and I think from there I was sort of adamant on becoming a rally driver all the way through school and uh, when the teachers ask you what you're going to be when you're older rally driver mm. um i think as i got older and realized the amount of danger involved in it, it sort of dissuaded me slightly uh, and i moved away from that idea but the sort of the interesting cars always remained uh, and and yeah probably became quite an obsession um yeah definitely no, it's interesting because it's like so when you stopped playing when you stopped playing football like and you realized maybe this isn't a thing for me like did your friendship group change did your mindset change when you were that young like what was the, what was that like for you yeah it probably did um it probably did all, all the guys I used to play football with were guys I grew up from school with and yeah I'd say now I've, oh, it'd be 10 or so years since I've really spoken to any of them um mm. but the circle of friends I have now are all friends I've met in and around the car scene yeah um so yeah i i would say it has affected sort of life in that direction it, it did drive me in a mind the pun did drive me in a certain way um but yeah i wouldn't have any regrets on that obviously there were a good bunch of guys i grew up with but the circle of friends now are, are equally as uh, as good and uh, very motivational and and obviously we all share similar interests so it's it, they're an easy group to get along with yeah that's the, that's the thing i was just trying to get at is like it doesn't matter like what you what you've come from or where you've had friends in the past like the friends you have now exactly you say that they're all supportive and that's that's the main thing though isn't it to have a group of people that support you and share interests that you you can have conversation with you can bond over yeah exactly i think that's it and uh it's it's a reciprocal thing isn't it so you know they're always going to be there and got your back in terms of needing support on any projects, mm. ideas, or or interests. And and you know if you need to ask the favour, they're going to come back and um uh, come back and back you up. So yeah, it, it it's good and it, it's interesting in how sort of the automotive scene and and the car scene sort of can bring people together. So um my my partner Michelle, we we've been together for. 10 years now um, got three three boys with her and we sort of met through share of interesting cars and things like mm. that so yeah it, it's interesting how it can um, can direct your life yeah and so when it came to sort of like you finding a, a career a job a, a vocation if you will like so how would it how was that what was that journey like for you and, and what was the influences like you say with your friends at school with teachers with careers guidance like what was your experience with that so Originally, obviously, with the interest being all the way about football, uh, uh, vocationally, it was either going to play football or work in football. Mm. Um, sort of early on, I realised I was never going to make it as a pro player. So then I switched to thinking, well, coaching and management is obviously an option. A lot of college teachers sort of pointed out that 
99% of football managers and, and coaches used to be professional players. So they sort of nipped that idea in the bud pretty quickly. But I did go down that route. So all of my vocation in, in, in sort of college level was um, coaching, sports, sports development, and, and basically everything around um, running sports clubs, teams, and, and groups. Yeah. So yeah, it did. It did sort of change once I obviously moved away from that idea. Um, and I work as an engineer. Now. I'm a design engineer. I work on fire safety systems, so fire alarm suppression systems, etc. Um, but I sort of got into the life safety systems industry again through someone I met in the sort of car scene. Yeah. So even though the industry I work in isn't directly automotive. On, on my day job sort of thing people I met in this in this sort of area put me on this path so yeah even even to what I do day to day it's it's all been driven around cars and people I've met in this industry and and and, and this in this scene so yeah bit of a bit of an odd story really in terms of how I uh how I acquired these jobs yeah no, so the, the motorsport thing then is is a is a passion used as a side hobby. Then is it something you do outside of work, and it's something that you enjoy? It is, yeah. So I think on and off over the last sort of ten years, I've been competing in different uh, championships and different race series and and whatnot. Um, and it is, yeah, it, it's sort of a hobby, but more of like a it's a hobby we take serious. Obviously, there's quite a few of us who, who do it. Um, and and sort of get anywhere in motorsport, even at an amateur level, you have to have sort of a professional mindset towards it in how you operate, and and obviously not taking away from the having fun side of it, but to to make sure you're competing the best as you can, and and obviously doing doing the best you can, you need to sort of treat it as uh, as a job basically. So yeah, I'd say it's side job kind of hobby. Um, but no, it, it's always been a, a big passion for me in terms of motorsport. I'm quite a competitive person. Um, so, yeah, there's obviously a lot of a lot of areas in the car scene, show cars, other track day cars, etc. But I think racing was always the end goal mm. um, because, because of its competitive nature and because of the variation as well you can you can pretty much take any car and there will be somewhere to go and go and race that at a, at a grassroots level. Yeah. And so, so that's the good, good point is like, so how do you change when you started in motorsport? Like, when did you realize that, okay, I need to take this seriously. I need to like, you know, be professional. I need to like almost as if I was training to be F1, I guess that is that the level of dedication you put into it? Yeah. I think I, when I first started out, um, I used to, uh, I used to compete in quarter mile drag racing. Um, so it was a car what, uh, I put together with uh, a couple of friends who run a company who tune um, tune Japanese cars and Hondas. I, it was a Honda Civic I had, um, and yeah, we did a did a full season there uh, in called Front Wheel Drive Drag Series at Santa Pod. Mm. We did every round just we were a few late nights prepping the car, etc. And I think overall in that series we came third. Yeah, and uh, on paper we had the slowest car, um, le- least amount of power, least amount of tire, etc. Probably the smallest budget, but it was the persistence of making sure we were there every month to compete in every round, and and that's what stacked up the points in the end. So that sort of got uh, sort of the mindset adjusted towards, 
yeah, you've got to make sure you turn up. You've got to make sure that you're ready to go and that you cover off any eventuality because if you miss a round, et cetera, you're going to, you're going to obviously struggle to make the points up. So that, that sort of point me in that direction. And then I made the change to circuit racing in, I think it was 2014. Um, but it sort of stepped all the way back to the beginning then. So it was just myself, uh, and Michelle, my partner, we used to go to all the race weekends, a few friends would help out painting the car, mm. prepping <clears throat> beforehand, etc. And I, I had some, um, access to some good people who could uh, help me out when I needed um, in terms of maintenance and, and setup. But yeah, on a race weekend, it was just me and me and Michelle. And it was a big learning curve because going from quarter mile racing, which is, as you imagine, point the car in a straight line and, and make sure it puts all the power down to the dynamics of a circuit car where you've got suspension, braking, gear ratios, everything to sort of learn. And the car was new to us. We had a Mark One Mazda MX-5, which we competed in BRSCC um, MX-5 Championship, mm. which I'd argue is probably one of the most competitive race series going. It has huge grids. Um, yeah, very good bunch of people there. And again, you've got professional teams at one end, all the way down to people like myself, who was just starting out at the other and everybody would, would chip in and help everybody else. So, yeah, that was a good learning curve. Did that for a couple of years. And then uh, had a had a few years off, um, various reasons. Um, moved house, sold one of the race cars, and then sort of had this spark of an idea to compete in the Citroen C1 Club 24-hour race at Silverstone. Yeah. So asked a few friends wherever they wanted to come in on it, build a car together, go race it together. Because we'd all had interest in motorsport and a few of my friends had done different championships, but we'd all done it separate. So this was more of a, well, if we put all our knowledge together, build this car, go racing with it and, and see how we get on. Um, which was really good, to be fair. I've got big interest mm. in, in building race cars as well as, as well as racing them. So it was really interesting to see what we could do. We literally did it out of my garage and on the driveway. Um, got a few other drivers on board to make up the team. Um, unfortunately, one of the guys building the car had a change of heart and, and went to do his own thing still, which fair play to him. Um, so, yeah, we got a couple of other drivers on board, one of which we knew previously, um, a guy called Neil Holden from Nev Motorsport. He brought a lot of knowledge to the team. He's a he's a race engineer for, for Gulf Porsche. So... We had sort of he he was the secret weapon for setup, etc. Um, and then yeah, we just went out there with no real expectations. The only target was finish the 24 hour race, which is, is a big achievement on its own. Um my friend James, who raced the car with us, it was his first ever event. He'd never never raced before. And yeah, disappointingly for me, he uh stuck out pole timing. He was the quickest guy in the car. <laughs> He'd never uh, never raced before, so yeah, that was a an eye opener of how fast he could be. So yeah, that was an interesting one. Um, again, competed in the race, had a couple of issues, pulled together as a team, managed to source an engine which we required, got the car back out, made the finish line, and again, it just sort of opened my eyes to how motorsport isn't just a individual. Uh, individual event mm -hmm. it, there is a team behind it and to sort of progress 
and become more professional moving forward, you you can't just do it on your own like I tried to previously. You do need a team of people, um, which was yeah, it was it was wasn't hard to accept, but it's yeah, I think I think yeah, you do need to um, sort of let go of some of the tasks involved, um, and and so you focus on your own sort of specialist uh, sort of area or whether you're the driver or the tire engineer or the race mechanic. Um, whereas I used to try and do all of that, mm. um, which is probably why I was never never the winner, but I always had quite a solid car and and, and decent results. Um, so, yeah, moving forward into current projects, um, I help, obviously, James has got his own race racing team going at the minute which I do a lot of work with him um, on race days, running the car so he can focus on his driving and moving into my own stuff. Hopefully the favors are going to get returned and he's going to come and do some bit of race engineering for me when, when I'm behind the wheel. So yeah, it, it's, it's working out. All right. The, the group I've got around me now, really, really good bunch can always rely on them. And uh, yeah, we've all got this mindset about how, we need to move forward in more of a professional manner in terms of how we approach racing, even at this grassroots level that we compete at. Yeah, it's interesting because you, the lessons you the lessons you've learned going from drag racing to circuit racing, and then realizing you need a team when it comes to circuit racing, maybe not in the the level of the aspect you had when you were drag racing. And so, is what made you want to switch into circuit racing? Was it just the next thing progression wise that you wanted to try, or? Was there that competitiveness in you that was like, oh, I want to try something, maybe more cars, a bit more action? Like, what was the thing that made you go from drag to circuit? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, the the drag race series we raced in uh, was well, so there's two there's two types of drag racing. There's there's ET drag racing, which is you against the clock and it's the fastest time, and then there's heads up, which is the first one over the line. So mm-hmm. weirdly, you can still win in drag racing with a slower time if you get the better start because obviously the timer only starts once you set off yeah so if you get the perfect start and the other guy or, or girl is a bit slower off the line you can still win even though they may have a have a quicker quicker time so although i love the engineering of drag racing as much as people say it's driving in a straight line there's there's a lot more to it um sort of tire technology engine power bands sort of boost by gear launch control weight dynamic of the car aerodynamics of the car it takes a lot to make it go fast in a straight line over such a short distance it's still very excuse the pun again one-dimensional you've you've just got to put everything into going straight as fast Mm. as you can whereas obviously in circuit racing it's more dynamic so you've got corners breaking multiple other cars around you on circuit you've got to factor in things like bump drafting and breaking the toe and and there's a lot more a lot more to it it's more more rounded as a as a as a sport so i think that was the driver again i've always been a a big fan of motorsport rallying formula one british touring cars um so i think i think circuit was always going to be the next step um and I think it was just a case of we found the right car at the right time. 
so I sold the drag car and all the associated bits to a friend of mine and then obviously mm. went out and, and, and acquired a, a Mazda MX-5. So yeah, that was, um, that was probably always the goal to go circuit racing. Um, it was just timing. Uh, it just all came at once. I had all the plans in place to carry on doing drag racing for at least another year. Yeah. But the right car came along at the right time. Yeah, and so speaking about you mentioned earlier other projects you're doing now, I think it's it's so what is the the main thing you're working on currently, like outside of your job? Like what is the 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 project, the thing that you're doing now? Right. So this this year, hopefully, um we're very close to putting a new race team together to take a Mark Three MX five racing in Club Enduro, so the seven fifty Mark Club Endurance mm-hmm. Championship. Um but we're doing it this year with a slight twist we're hopefully taking it racing with carbon neutral synthetic fuels mm. uh, primarily from a company called p1 in germany so p1 performance fuels um the idea behind it is we can showcase these fuels and um basically show grassroots motorsport and the wider audience that synthetic fuels are uh, a drop-in solution to sustainable motoring with internal combustion Mm. Um, the fuel we're using is a synthetic 97 octane uh, fossil free fuel so it's the equivalent of super unleaded what you get at the pump and it needs no modifications to the fuel system of the car the engine of the car or the ECU so for example if you, you had your own personal car and overnight I took your standard fuel out of there, swapped it with uh, Eco 100 Pro. You get in the next day, turn the key, fires up, drive it. You wouldn't know any different. Um, So the new team's based around that. So we're working with Ben at P1. Um, Obviously, we're going to try and promote this quite a lot. And I'm in discussion at the minute with a a major car magazine um, to... Again, showcase this. Uh, they're going to come along with us, hopefully, with with one of the guys sharing the drive. Yeah. And um, yeah, we're going to run the car on 100% fossil free fuel and demonstrate this to hopefully 750 Motor Club, Motorsport UK, readers of said magazine, um, and and basically everyone as 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 far as we can reach it. Um, so yeah, that that's where we're at at the minute. I mean, so this, I mean, this is a bit. This is a big task. This is, I guess, why? Why did you want to go and do it? Because for me, if I was racing a motorsport, I guess I would just carry on using petrol or just regular fossil fuels. So why did you want to go and do something different? Was there a? Where did this opportunity come from? Or was it something you sought well, yourself? It was sort of an idea I had back in September. Um, mm. Again, like you said, it, it would be very easy just to build a car, put a team together, and, and go racing using regular fuels. But the longevity of regular fuels in motorsport has potentially got a life, a shelf life now as we move towards more sustainable options. And the earlier we can adopt this, the better it will be in the long run in terms of grassroots motorsport, but also general motoring as a, as a wider, as a wider audience. It's, it's ready now. The solutions are all there. The fuels are yeah. there. And a lot of them, for example, P1's fuel is made in, in bulk. 
a lot of early adopters to it were sort of saying, well, it's it's lab-based, it's tiny amounts, you, you can't you can't do it. But it's already being done. P1 currently supply uh, the WRC. They supply Will, TCR, and they supply the FIA Karting Championship, mm-hmm. all with sustainable carbon-neutral fuels, which are, again, 100% fossil-free. So if it's good enough for FIA-level championships, it, it needs to be demonstrated that it's good enough for grassroots motorsport and general motoring as a whole, which is where my idea came in. So a lot of a lot of uh, sustainable fuel companies, not just P1, but other people in the industry, have gone right to the to the pinnacle. Some of the competitors have gone to Paris Dakar. Um, a few have done some stuff with the RAF on on the um, aero side. So yeah. But how I see it is, the likes of myself and and yourself and and your listeners. We don't commute to work in a WRC Ford Puma. We, exactly, yeah. <laughs> we, don't, we don't race FIA-level carts. Well, some may do, some may do. But as a general, we drive to work in standard standard cars. So the car we're doing has no modifications to the fuel system, um, which we can't really do anyway due to regulation of championships we're entering. So it's the perfect option. Um, we can we can put it in the car. We will have no loss of power. We'll have no loss of miles per gallon, and we can we can basically demonstrate this at the grassroots end of motorsport rather than the bespoke race car end, which is brilliant, and it is the platform to test. But as a as a practical demonstration, I think what I'm trying to achieve is is what's required as well so that it's a two-pronged approach yeah because you want to i guess you want to appeal to the masses but you also want to show that this fuel can be as good if not better than the current stuff made from dinosaurs and it's like i guess the way you're doing it is you're you're going to the masses with the fuel like people anyone can join a grassroots motorsport league i'm guessing or, or a championship if they have a racing license they they go through the the proper stuff um but in terms of the fuel itself like so what is the basics of it and like in a, in a short way like how does it work right so um carbon neutral sustainable fuels you may have heard the word e-fuel um that's one type of it uh and then there's biosynthetic fuels so e-fuels are made by capturing carbon from the atmosphere using Mm. carbon capture machines or using carbon captured from industry so certain industrial processes will give off co2 and that's captured and then reapplied to uh to these fuels Biosynthetic is made from waste feedstock. So all the bits of crops that we don't use um, for for food gets obviously um, processed and it's made into ethanol and methanols, depending on the type of e-fuel or biosynthetic. Both types are then combined with hydrogen, which is um, captured from water through a process called electrolysis. Once you've got the hydrogen and the ethanol or methanol combined, uh, again, I'm not a scientist, so the the chemical side of it, I don't know the intricacies of, but once that's combined, you then have a hydrocarbon, which is basically what you would crack from crude oil. Yeah. So once you got to that point, you would then process it into your different octane levels of, of petrol, and the finished product is 
identical basically to uh, what we what would previously dig out the ground in crude oil and process. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's that is the simplest way I can sort of describe it. It, it, it is very um, there's a lot of intricacies into it. It's a lot more detailed in in terms of the chemical reactions involved, but the two methods create the same endpoint. Um, speaking to Ben, the current um, products that P1 put out there are a mix of the two. So it's a blend of e-fuel and biosynthetic fuel. Solely because e-fuel is not a huge thing at the minute. Obviously, the carbon capture is a relatively new technology. So that's scaling up and that will increase. And not just for P1, but for all the manufacturers. Um, that, that will increase. But at the minute, bio, biosynthetic and e-fuels are mixed and blended into the final products um so so what we're, we'll be using um is basically 97 octane blend of the two but again they're 100 fossil free it's carbon capture from the atmosphere either via plants or via carbon capture machines mm. yeah well, it's amazing you take it effectively you're just taking a waste product that would have gone either into the sky or into the ground and you're taking that and turning it into something that we can use to have fun and compete and and enjoy really so it's it's an amazing way it's it's fascinating to see that it's taken this long for us to go right what was the what is the solution to crude oil running out what is the solution to fossil fuels running out and we've tried electric and that's no better for the environment than having a classic car and um, so now this this way is coming along instead of this month's episodes being sponsored by a great company giving you something as a thank you for listening i wanted to announce something special ignition is releasing a clothing line this clothing line is something that we've been working on for quite a while now and behind the scenes been figuring out how could we give back and the way we want to give back is give designers 30 percent of everything that's sold so if you buy a t-shirt 30 percent of the profits from that t-shirt will go directly to the artist it's just a way for us to show the great and amazing talent that is in the automotive and motorsport worlds and that means if you do have a design or an idea for a clothing line give us a message email me at harry at ignitionpod.com that's harry at ignitionpod.com i'd love to have a chat but anyway back to the episode oh and before you go podcast listeners get 15 percent off so check the show notes below for that code for you yeah i think I think the, the surprising thing, what I learned was the technology is really old. So mm. this technology for um, electrolysizing hydrogen and, and creating synthetic fuels has been around since the Second World War. Um, and it was done due to uh, the Germans not trying to rely on Russian oil anymore, which is a hot topic again. <laughs> um, so they needed to be independent of obviously all the other nations because they were against them in the second world war. So they uh, created a lot of this technology all the way back then. So the technology or the process isn't a new idea, but the necessity to use it is probably more important now, uh, which mm. is why a lot of companies have picked up on it and, uh, and are investing a lot of money into it and, uh, and are running with it. Um, but again, as we spoke about, I'm demonstrating it in, in sort of a grassroots motorsport level, but it's big for wider society um, yeah. because obviously the carbons either come out of the air through a carbon capture machine or come out of plants which have captured it to to grow. It's not new carbon. It's not carbon from 6 million years ago, which had been locked in the, in the ground. It's carbon which came out of the air six months ago or six weeks ago. So it, that's where the sustainability comes in there's no new carbon going into the atmosphere 
from the tailpipe, but then it's coming back out of the atmosphere to be made back into the fuel. So mm. it gives the option for a load of like society-wide benefits, um, not just reduced emissions, which is obviously what we'd focus on in, in sort of our interest, but it gives you the ability as a, as a nation to have more energy independence, which again mm. is, a, is a hot topic at the minute with the Ukraine war and all the issues that surrounded that for, for energy supply around Europe. You could, for example, take any area what's got renewables, so wind, solar, tidal, geothermal, anything where you can create renewable energy, and you could set up a plant. So, for example, in, in our country, we could go to the north coast of Scotland, stick a wind farm in the sea, bring that electricity back to the coast, build a plant there, capture the carbon, either through a carbon capture machine or uh, waste feedstocks, and create our own synthetic fuels using renewables, which we've got an abundance of wind up there. We've got hydrogen from the water next in the sea. Mm. All the ingredients are there to remove the necessity for crude oil producing companies to supply us with, with our energy. Um, and, and on a global side, you could even look at a solar farm in the Sahara Desert, for example, it's got all the sun in the world and it would create a, an abundance of green energy, but moving that green energy around is an issue. You can't just run a cable from the Sahara Desert back to Britain. It's just not feasible. Mm. The technology is not there. The cable conductivity is not there. But you could build a synthetic fuel plant next to the solar farm translate that energy into a synthetic fuel and then using current infrastructure transport that around Europe and you've moved the energy from the Sahara into Germany, France, Spain, England, etc. with no real negative effects because we're not then burning new fossil fuels and adding new carbon to the atmosphere. So it's not just from an automotive perspective. Synthetic fuels have got such a wide uh, scope where they could benefit the population of the of, of the world really it's it's not just uh it's not just so that people can go racing um in the future no yeah i mean it's, it's like anything from like you say like big industrial plants to people that still have like say like liquid burners and stuff like you just it's anything from down that's the scale wise is massive and like you say it brings it brings it to everyone in, in a wider scale like even people that have a car they can still use these fuels just in the houses, in the homes to heat stuff. So for you, like what is, what do you see and what, what do P1 see for you in the future? You'd be able to use these, this fuel for and, and where do you want to see the project being taken in terms of motorsport as well? Yeah. So initially we just want to get, get out there this year, obviously get some races, races entered, um, run the fuels and just demonstrate to people in this country initially that obviously we've got a a product here what's ready to go which can guarantee that from a sustainability perspective these vehicles can be raced on in the future and the fuels are applicable to sort of everything from as we uh, discussed previous a fully flung wrc car to a pre-war bentley Mm. So something from the 1920s. And it protects the heritage of, of, of all of that. 
So yeah, I just want to get it out there as, as as best I can in terms of grassroots motorsport and and how we can adopt this. Like I said, hopefully we're going to be speaking with Motorsport UK about this and and sort of rolling out some more projects. I know they're doing a couple of bits with uh, Formula Student and, and another e-fuels manufacturer. So people are waking up to it now um, and people are taking a bit of an interest because, again, we're all here for sort of this level of competition and motorsport. And without wider adoption, it, it's never going to get off the ground. It needs people to sort of like take note of it now um, uh, and allow it to scale quicker. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm just a normal guy, and I just want to prove that us normal guys can sort of use this, and uh, and it, you don't need to be a a multi million pound race team or even Formula One are looking at adopting it. So I want to prove that you don't need to be at that super super high end. Mm. It's brilliant that they're involved because it brings OEMs in, and you get loads of test data back from that. But it needs to trickle its way down to this end but quicker so i'm trying to push it from this this sort of grassroots end yeah and so, something i'm interested in is that like you mentioned you are just a the regular guy you're not not in the sense of you're doing something that everyone else is doing but you like you're not a ceo of a massive company you're not someone of a, a social status or high esteem so how did you go to a company that is producing these fuels on mass and go i want to use it like I'm just thinking of people that maybe want to do similar things, but in a different context, like what gave you the, like just the, the idea or the, 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 the gumption to go and try something that you wanted to do. Um, it's a tough one really. Cause I think it was more the fact that it was just going to be a unique idea to sort of try this. Um, so initially, I just reached out via social media to a few um, a few of these businesses uh, who are in, in the sustainable fuels market um, and then sort of found a few web addresses, uh, email addresses, et cetera, and, and reached out that way. Um, and that's sort of where I met Ben from P1. Um, mm. I had a couple of conversations with him and he was really interested in the um, in the project. P1 are doing a few things over over here um, with a with a few different sort of groups, um, and he was very keen to see what what I was trying to um, trying to do. So, yeah, I, th- I think it was more of a just trying to go racing, but with a bit of purpose rather than mm. just turning up for the for the fun of it. Don't get me wrong, I'm gonna have a lot of fun doing it, but it was yeah, I, th- I think it just needed a bit of a bit of purpose behind it, and and that was well, that was the one. You see it quite a lot. Uh, a lot of race teams now have sort of charity support, etc., which is which is brilliant using using the motorsport platform. Um, so I, I, I thought I had that idea of just just going down this route to yeah do something a bit different and have a bit of purpose behind what I'm what I'm well just my hobby basically, um, and and that was the uh, that was the sort of idea behind it. Yeah, and so do you reckon that's the reason it happened? Then was it was just led by a passion, a a, a dream, not a dream, but you know, the dream of this this, this idea. So like, because it's it's weird for people that don't want to try something. Like for me, going out and asking a company to give me like fuel, and are they are they sponsoring the project? Like, is this something they they are taking under like a marketing perspective for? 
Yeah, so we've got a few things coming up, um, which again, I'll have some more announcements soon. Um, but yeah, they are going to be supporting the project. Um, the capacity is not being fully agreed yet, but yeah, they're, they're on board. Um, Ben's been brilliant to work with. He's an absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to e-fuels. Again, he, he obviously sees it from a P1 perspective, but he also sees it from the wider industry. Um, some of the things what we've discussed in terms of how e-fuels can be applied, have just it, it really opens your eyes up to it in terms of it's not it's not a synthetic fuel versus battery EV thing. It's a both thing. It, it needs battery EV in some application, but we also mm -hmm. need synthetic fuel. So yeah, and it was it was like you said, the shared passion and the shared idea really sort of got the idea off the ground um, and, and got sort of Ben's interest. And yeah, a couple of conversations with him really, really sparked that. Yeah, and so like let's let's say everything go well in the future, everything happens, everything works for you. Like, what do you see this in the future? Like, where do you see this going? Like, do you want like racing leagues devoted to e-fuels? Obviously, the idea is to to make this more uh, like sustainable, viable option for everyone. But for like for you personally, Matt, like where would you want it to go? Yeah, I think you, I think you sort of you've picked that up perfectly. So uh, initially we had to approach 750 Motor Club and get the fuels vetted so that we mm. can compete with them. Obviously they need to be regulated. Um, sent them all the information. They were really on board with it and they want to obviously know a little bit more. So yeah, I think you're right. The the sort of mid to long-term plan is wider adoption as a, as a control fuel for either championships or classes in an event. So obviously you've got a lot of multi-class racing out there where you may want some teams or some teams may want to use e-fuels so they could race in the entire race but have a subcategory um and then obviously for us in the uk it'd be motorsport uk getting fully behind this and, mm. and promoting uh, the rollout of this into all levels of, of competition in the uk and then obviously the fia following following suit and again it's just to make sure that the sport that we all love has a future has a future beyond these potential bans on internal combustion engines and things um one of the things what sort of ben said to me which really opened my eyes as well is internal combustion engines don't make carbon mm. the carbon's in the fuel so there's all the talk of the 2035 ban on internal combustion engines but it's the fuels which are the issue. If you change the fuels, the in, the engine's not the issue. It's the fuel which needs mm. to adapt. So yeah, that was a big one for me. And, and yeah, if we can look at club clubs adapt, adopting this and then Motorsport UK adopting this, and obviously the FA are already looking at it in a, in a global level, then it's only going to benefit us all in, in the future and prolong what we what we all love to do. Yeah, is there's no reason why we will lose out on a V12 or the sound of the V10 or stuff that people like as petrol heads love the, the sound of those engines is that's not going to disappear. Like I say that the, the name hydrocarbon, like it's in the name. Like the carbon's coming from the fuel. As yeah. if you change the fuel, you change the thing that everyone hates about cars, if that makes sense. I mean, yeah, there's noise, but Yeah, that that's right. And weirdly, I see this from quite a selfish perspective. Obviously, I've got three young boys and 
I wouldn't want them to grow up in a world where they don't get to see the emotion of driving uh, a, an internal combustion engine vehicle. Mm. The vibration, the sounds, the smells, the power band, how you have to manipulate the gears to make the car move. You don't get that with a battery EV car. You press a button, you put it into gear, and you mm. put your foot down and it goes, which is a perfect tool. It does a very good job but there's no passion there. It's not a Weber carbureted 1300cc Alfa Romeo engine. Yeah. It's not a B16, a VTEC Honda engine. There's so many more dimensions to an internal combustion engine in terms of driver feedback and, and, and sort of pleasure that I don't think you'd get from an EV. Yep, the performance of an EV is astronomical. You can stick your foot down, it will pin you in the seat, it will do sub two seconds, not to 60. But where's where's the passion behind that? They're mm. a bit more laboratory built rather than engineering built, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, I want to be able to allow my kids when they get to an age that they can drive petrol go-karts and petrol cars and, and sort of have have that opportunity and without having these fuels widely adopted that's only going to be limited to the very very upper classes who can afford to to do it um so that is sort of a bit of a selfish reason for me um wanting to give obviously my kids this opportunity but it's it's the wider generations as well it's not just my kids it's everyone's kids um yeah and especially people in in sort of the the automotive world who have a passion for this thing, you always want to sort of try and pass that on to your to your kids. So yeah, that's one of the reasons. Um, that's one of the reasons, probably the main reason. Yeah. If I really dig into it, um, yeah, that's that's probably the main one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great to know this, um, and like to hear about your. To, you want this for your kids as well. I mean, are they are they interested in cars now? Do they see that? You mentioned Alfa Romeo. I know you've got one. So do they, do they do they see the car? Do they interact with it? And do you have that bond with them already? And something you want to keep going? Yeah. On? So my eldest Seb, he's going to be four this year. So he's at that age now where he's he's wanting to pick up tools and tinker with things, and he's and he's and he's getting really into it. Um, he's quite keen on the racing side of things. Again, my friend James, we've taken him along to some of his races and. He 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 loves it. He's really into um into cars and fixing cars, cleaning cars. Um and and the Alfa Romeo, we've it's been away at a, a company Nottingham having the engine rebuilt. And uh when it came back, he was sort of over the moon. And we just went out driving for the afternoon and, and he loved it. Um but again, it's 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 noise, it's vibration, it's smell, and, and it's it's different to what you get in a in a modern car. Um, the other two are uh, they're one in May, so they're not quite there yeah. yet. Toy cars for them at the minute, um, but hopefully the the brother shows them the way and and they all pick it up. Um, between the three of them, there's probably a race team in there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> in in yeah, in ten years' time, you you'll have you'll have three mechanics and you won't have to find anyone else to give you give you a hand. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Oh, I think long, long term, 
I think Le Mans LMP is a team of three now. So there you go. We could all have the same name on the side of the car. That's that's yeah, what what a dream. Um, and, yeah. and, and coming towards the end, of the end of the podcast, Matt, there are sort of like five questions that I do ask. And the first one is, is like, what is your ultimate three car garage? Well, right. So I've heard this a few times and you could ask me this again in an hour and I'll probably give you three different cars. It, it's probably the trickiest question. Um, so first, my Alfa Romeo, but after it's spent a bit of time down at Alpha Holics and they've <laughs> worked their magic on it, so uh, a 2.1 twin spark, all the titanium suspension bits they do and all the fancy stuff. So that that would be one. And I think that's a consistent one. That would mm. that would be in any of the options. Uh, I'd say the second one would be probably a Alpha Tipo 33 Stradale. Mm. Um, wouldn't even need to drive it. It could just be parked up because that car is an absolute work of art. So that would be number two. And then... Probably any of the Ayrton Senna Formula One cars. Wouldn't matter which one, any of them. Brilliant. No, F1 cars are something that people don't often put in the garage, but it's something that I think like you can have an F1 car. This is no like but with some people I don't guess don't dream big enough. But yeah, like I'd I'd have a um I'd have an F two thousand and two Schumacher. That's why yeah. that's what I'd have in mind. And it's yeah, but they're brilliant things. And like the next question is you can have one car to drive on any road or track. But you can own it once. Where would you go and what would you take? Um, this is a tough one as well. Um, I'd say probably any 80s era F1 car on maybe Spa. Yeah, yeah. maybe at Spa. Either Spa or Monza, perhaps. Yeah, well, well why not? <laughs> why not experience? Yeah. I mean, those cars are absolutely nuts, but yeah, like, why not experience that? Um, yeah, and then I think this question is, if, again, again, this this podcast is about helping people find a find a career, find a vocation in automotive motorsport. So I'm asking, like, if you look at your own life and, and money wasn't a thing, there was no exchange of value, like you weren't working for money, like what would you do for a living? What would you do for a vocation? What would be the thing that, you did for a purpose? Uh, I'd probably be running a racing team. Yeah, I, I probably would be. I'm trying to now. Um, but like you say, if it was a case of money wasn't a worry and we could just do this tomorrow, flick a switch, then yeah, I'd probably be running a race team. At what level? I don't know. Maybe multiple levels, some professional and running some grassroots. Um because the grassroots is the hardest thing in terms mm. of getting involved to bigger teams. There's a lot of a lot of costs involved. So if we could do something like that where it was more cost effective for people starting out, as well as run a professional team in AE Championship, whatever, BTCC or European GT Masters or something like that at one end, but also then offer the opportunity to apply that knowledge and skill to first time people coming into MX5s or Civic Type R's or Minis or something like that, then yeah, that'd mm. be the uh, that'd be the ultimate goal, I think. Well, it's really funny you're taking a very um, I guess foot- football approach to motorsport in the sense that you have this big team, this big club, 
and then they're looking after the, all the way down to that grassroots, that kicking a ball in a Sunday league sort of thing. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, never thought of it that way. No, it's, just, it's just something that I, I, I think that I look at how football's run. I think that that is the way that you should run every, because it's something that's tried and tested before cars. Like that is, that is a development of a sport and the way they structure that sport and the way they support sport in a certain country is they have these big teams. I think that's very important for other F1 teams to look at and go, how can we help Carter? Yeah, I think I think you do see it in F1 where they have driver mm-hmm. academies, but that's for a very, very select few people who are going to make it. Whereas you don't see it as much in sort of national level motorsports. So I think a couple of touring car teams have tried it in the past where they had sort of development drivers, mm-hmm. but it's not really a widely adopted thing, but it's probably due to cost, isn't it? Um, yeah, but yeah, it would be a good idea, wouldn't it, to have a, a each team to have their own academy who could bring drivers through. That would be uh, that would be good. But there we go. Enough of my dreams and hopes. But um, <laughs> <laughs> and then the next question is, what would the advice you'd give to a younger self, you younger, a younger you, sorry, or a person that wants to pursue something with their passion? Um, so to a younger self, it would be do all this sooner. Um, Time doesn't wait for anyone. And the earlier you would get into these things, the more time you've got to perfect your skills. Um, Like I say, I've been in and out of motorsport now for 10, 11 years or so. Um, And I'm still 10 years behind the next person. So Mm. yeah, if it is your passion, try and get in there as quick as you can. Um, don't waste your time trying to be a footballer and then change your mind. Um, but to yeah, to wider to the wider sort of people, it'd be people can only say no. There's no harm in asking questions. Um, that's all I did for this project. Is I went out and asked some questions, and we're in in process now of sort of implementing a project. Um. Worst case scenario is I got an email that said no, no hard feelings, move on to the next one. So yeah, I think um I think that'll be the the other piece of advice I'd give. Yeah, fantastic. And the last one is what do you love most about cars, motorsport, and all things four wheeled? And um again, I sort of think it's what we touched on at the beginning. Uh it, it brings people together. It it puts you in touch with people you never realized you would have like you wouldn't have ever met them outside of the circle. Um yeah, I've got sort of friends for life now through this uh, who I would have probably never, ever met if I'd have stuck with my previous idea of football and, and, and sport that way. So, yeah, I think uh, I think that's the main thing for me. It's the people you meet along the way. Brilliant. Oh, it's, it's been fantastic to chat, Matt, and um, thank you so much for your time being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to learn a bit more about you and what P1 and E-Fuels can do for motorsport and the wider public in the future. Yeah, no, it's been brilliant. Thank you for having me. I wanted to say a massive well done and thank you for taking your time to listen to what me and my guests have to say. This podcast was designed to help people in the automotive and motorsport industries. And so if you think I've done that, please hit follow on this app. I would really appreciate it and it would help us get bigger and better guests. See you next time. And that concludes another High Octane episode of the Ignition Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Matthew as he takes his MX-5 to the new heights in the 750 Motor Club MX-5 series. 
all while pioneering the use of e-fuels with the support of P1 Performance Fuels. Follow Matthew's journey and be inspired by his dedication to blend sustainability with aspirations like racing. Remember to rate and review the podcast, helping us fuel your passion by delivering the best content possible. Until next time, stay ignited and keep pushing the limits of your own automotive dreams.